Hi, my name's Pete Banton, and I'm the co-founder of the Awaken Life Project here in Portugal. And I'd like to welcome you to this new podcast, which is named after my recently released first book called The Fire of the Heart. In this podcast, I'm going to be exploring the nature of an authentic spiritual awakening and its potential implications in these tipping point times we are living through together. I hope that you will find these podcasts illuminating and provocative, and most of all, I hope that they'll ignite a big and potentially all-consuming fire in your heart. So I'm very happy to be um, doing a dialogue today with uh, Jerry Hyde from uh, London, UK. Welcome, Jerry. Thank you. And um, I found out about Jerry through um, a channel called Rebel Wisdom. And I watched an interview he did on that channel. And um, yeah, I really enjoyed his kind of edgy, no-nonsense uh, approach and style. And then I checked out a documentary that Jerry's made um, featuring his men's group in London called Make Me a Man, which I found to be deeply moving, very, very beautifully done, deeply moving. So I really wanted to um, connect with you just to, to see, um, get a sense of uh, your work with men and uh, maybe to sh share some uh, some experiences and insights about this whole arena. So um, maybe we could begin then by you saying a little bit about how you got into uh, doing men's groups. How did that all come about? And you, you asked me just before we started this, if how to pronounce my name, if it's pronounced Hyde, and someone on another podcast recently said to me, is that your real name or did you adopt that for your, for your persona? <laughs> <laughs> and um, I'm saddled with it. It's real. And I don't want to diss my dad. He's a troubled, he's a troubled man. He comes from the culture that, you know, I come from and probably you come from. But um, he was definitely a Mr. Hyde in the kind of Jekyll and Hyde thing. And I think I tried quite typically like a lot of guys. It's like, I'm going to be better than my dad. Mm. I think the real moment of arrival, if there is such a thing, there wasn't a moment as such, I'm kind of mythologizing it, but when I had to face and accept, I'm not better than my dad. I'm trying in a different culture with different resources to, you know, my generation's fortunate. I think therapy and men's groups and things are, well, they weren't even around probably when he was, he was young. Um, but I, yeah, I think it was a, you know, I, I, I went into work in domestic violence in the, um, in the nineties with male perpetrators, semi-consciously to not be like my dad and perhaps protect 
women from people like my dad. But I, I don't, to be honest, I don't think, I think it was the other way around. I think I went and started working in domestic violence and then my mum started saying to me, well, you know, your dad used to knock me around, which I hadn't known. So it was like a kind of semi-conscious thing I was pulled to. But I, I certainly didn't like men very much, apart from my grandfather, my maternal grandfather, who I was very, very close to, who died round about then. And there was also a, a semi-conscious pull towards men because I, I think I didn't want my only positive male experience to die with him. Mm. So I, was, I started working with guys and I think I joined a men's group for myself round about then. So we're probably talking 90. 394 something like that and um actually the 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 men's group i joined was never terribly satisfying but the the work i started doing with perpetrators was i think i i encountered quite a, a broad cross-section of society you know it's men private men's groups which i run mm. do tend to be what the ones I run anyway, and the ones I've been in do tend to be quite narrow in, you know, kind of people who can afford it and generally yeah. white and middle class, uh, which I think is changing. And I see that changing in my practice and I see, see that beginning to change societally. Whereas, of course, in perpetrators groups and people who are sent through the, the judicial system, it's a much broader <laughs> range of, you know. Yeah, yeah race, background, what have you. But I really fell for them because um, I could see they weren't Mr. Hyde's. They weren't terrible people. Right. They were people with a really narrow vocabulary that regardless of class, which is, you know, you know how strong that is in Britain still. Yeah, yeah. And, and racial background or what have you. I mean, I, I got that message. I remember really clearly my dad saying, probably in the late 60s or early 70s when I was at primary school, you know, if anyone picks on you in the playground, probably the only piece of advice he ever gave me, if anyone picks you in, on you in the playground, just punch them as hard as you can in the face. <laughs> you guys have the same kind of solution to vulnerability, right? Right, right. And you take that into the playground, all right, whatever. I'm not saying, you know, Already, already into Will Smith territory now. Mm. Uh, <laughs> in a, in a, in an intimate relationship, that's clearly really not going to fucking work at all. But these guys, I'm not making excuses for them. I just think their range of responses when feeling vulnerable was really limited. Mm. And what I found was, it was incredibly easy to change that. Mm just by creating a circle, giving them, you know, it was quite psychoeducational. It was based on the Duluth model, um, which is quite established in working with domestic violence. But, you know, body awareness, mental, kind of, you know, tracking back their resentments, looking at the, the social, the social kind of uh, backgrounds they come from and the family attitudes towards violence. It's pretty easy to turn that around. You know, these were not kind of, incredibly well some of them were incredibly violent but they weren't it wasn't incredibly hard to to challenge that once you kind of gave them some options and i think, I think my conclusion was when vulnerable 
men have a very you know that very narrow range but if you if you extend it and give them permission to be vulnerable or different language or different yeah. options that most of them might, wouldn't choose to be vulnerable yeah, yeah. It was certainly towards women. It was it was much harder to, to convince men not to be violent to men because that's what men do, right? Yeah, you know, yeah. Some would go out on a Saturday night looking for a fight because it was a kind of sport. But in an intimate relationship, I don't remember ever meeting a man who really wanted to be like that. And most of them are very ashamed. And it was always that moment where they go, oh, fuck, I'm just like my dad, aren't I? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and that's interesting. Have you generally found that, because um, you said once the men got in the circle with a few others, the access to that trust and vulnerability was relatively easy. And that's only that's also one only takes one to show a bit of, of emotion and it gives everyone permission. Mm. I'm sure you know that through your work. Yeah, yeah, that's all, that's why I mentioned, just mentioned it because that's also been my experience that um, Interestingly, because we also have a women's collective in our uh, community. And um, it's interesting because while women tend to be more relational than men in general, it's actually harder, we found, for the women to find that deep trust and vulnerability. Um, it's easy, it seems to be easy with the men. And it's just interesting because the more, it's, the more competitive dynamics between men, you know, which which are kind of we all know, we all are kind of socially uh, known and accepted, they're more on the surface, you know. And then the women's com competitive dynamics are more under the surface. And um, so, it's always amazing to me, um, especially when a new man comes into the group, um, how. On a, even on a non-verbal level, you know, just the, the experience of sitting in a circle with a group of men who are committed to being open, transparent. Um, yeah, it just it just uh, opens a door that I think so many men don't know that door is possible, that it exists. You know, this is a big part of why I'm so passionate about this kind of work, because I think so many men are, are longing for this discovery of vulnerability and of brotherhood you know beyond going out with the guys for some beers and looking for a fight like you said or the football match you know we, we all as men we all generally tend to stay on that level and socially um but i have found also that yeah it's generally once there's that fundamental trust then men are quite willing to open up yeah i mean um the whole gender thing, you know, it's really not my field. I've never even thought about it till recently uh, in a conscious way. I've just worked with men mm. uh, on the whole. We're kind of stuck with these labels. or Maybe we're not. Maybe they'll get ditched. Mm, maybe. Things get more fluid. But as long as we've got them, they have some value. They also have their issues. But you could argue, or I would argue, if we're going to go with gender stereotypes, that a men's group is essentially feminine. Hmm. It's, it's a place where people come to commune, or what we associate with feminine. Yeah, yeah. It's where we come to commune, share, show our emotions, and 
a, ma a more stereotypical masculine model will tend to isolate. I mean, the, the real stereotype in an English yeah. sense is the man in his shed and the woman leaning on the garden fence nattering to the neighbor, right? <laughs> yeah. so I, I kind of like the irony of when we come together as men, we're, we're essentially or immediately getting into a kind of feminine space. But yeah. at the same time, I would counter that like I say, I'm kind of making shit up because I, this is, I'm not on solid ground here. I don't know how many people are. <laughs> I did um, I'm, dabble. I'm not, um, I'm not an expert by any means or, or hugely experienced, but I, I've dabbled in plant medicines and I did one uh, called 5-MeO-DMT. Oh yeah, I've done that too. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which handed my ass to me very quickly. <laughs> um, one of the things that I immediately got told, I mean, I'm, I can't remember it word for word now, I've got it written down somewhere, but it was essentially, I got a kind of affirmation, it, it's, it's a voice said to me, you are fragile, you are delicate, you are sensitive, you are these things that have been labeled as feminine, mm. but they're not feminine. Right. They're kind of neither masculine nor feminine. Right. But they, they've been labeled as feminine. And um, they're actually things that men have been denied or have denied. And I think mm. that there is a problem in gendering those kind of qualities. I mean, my, my favorite description of the quality that I would say I see going on in my groups on a good day anyway is tenderness, which is often yeah. seen as a feminine quality. Yeah. Perhaps it is, but I don't experience feminine tenderness the same as I experience masculine tenderness. Exactly. You know, I don't want to get hung up on the gender thing, but the problem for me with the with the gender thing is that it does make it taboo or prohibitive. Or if you're too soft or sensitive, then you're gay or you're not masculine or what have yeah, you. Yeah. So it's a complex thing to navigate your way through that. And I'll, I'll just hit you actually with a, a little story of what I think got me into this more than my dad or my relationship to my grandfather or the, the work I did probably quite a typical story for a lot of guys so in about 93 I think I was in a like basic counseling skills foundation year or something like that like most of these groups there was 23 women and two guys <laughs> <laughs> and I came in on the Monday morning, still half asleep and sat down in a chair, random chair. And the facilitator said, right, turn to the person to your left. So I turned to my left. There was this sitting next to the guy, you know, hadn't planned it or whatever. And the facilitator said, right, find a way to physically hold each other. And I was like, fucking great. I've got 23 women and I picked them. <laughs> and I felt really, and, um, but he sat with, I think, his back against the wall and his kind of legs and his arms open. And I lay back with my back against his chest and he put his arms around me. Mm. And it's one of those little things that the facilitator would never have known. It's just a warm-up. that I, I and It's an overused phrase in, in therapy world, but I would say that changed my life because mm. I don't know if I'd ever been touched by a man. Mm. Shaken hands with my dad when he dropped me off at boarding school. That was kind of mm. the extent of physical contact I'd had with a man. My grandfather used to carry me when I was a kid, when we'd go for a walk and I'd be tired or whatever. But it's the first time I was embraced by a man. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah. And 
the first time, and, I've, and I remember actually leaning against him and after my kind of awkwardness kind of sinking into it going, wow, I like this. There's something really strong and powerful and, and soft and tender mm. I've never experienced before. And quite soon after that, I was like, fuck, I didn't pick a woman because if I had, I'd be going, oh shit. Am I leaning on her breasts? Am I, is this appropriate? You know, all that kind of <laughs> new man stuff of I mustn't offend anyone. And um, I was able to just be held. And it, it taught me something. It taught me something very profound. Mm. Just in, without words. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's, uh, that's a beautiful story. I totally can relate to that. And also what you said about tenderness. Because that's also uh, how I would describe this um, quality that we're discovering as men more and more. And as you say, it's quite something when men also allow themselves to express their love for each other physically, you know, whether it's a hug or, you know, we, we'll even kiss each other sometimes. And, um, you know, we, we do a retreat every, every year, you know, where we go, we go, uh, in depth for about a week we're going to do 10 days this year and the last one we did a we had um a kind of party at the end you know so there we all were dancing together and it was yeah but it was also there was also something very very tender because we were every the men weren't just dancing in their isolated space you know in their shed so to speak we were dancing together you know and uh, and also quite intimately at times and um it's so liberating i mean all the men find it so liberating to be able to express this tenderness and also allowing each other to be supported as you were saying to be held you know um yeah and i i think it's interesting what you brought up because in terms of this whole masculine feminine labeling um yeah, I think I think the problem is that, of course, we think masculine, we think men, we think feminine, we think women, and um, it's my experience that what we could call the feminine pole, um, as you said, you know, even even taking part in a, in a men's group is yeah, it's inherently feminine in the sense that it doesn't it doesn't go along with the usual masculine. Um, archetype of being alone in your shed <laughs> being the lone wolf um, but I think it's a side of who we are as men that uh, doesn't get supported doesn't get um, nurtured and you know and, and isn't therefore isn't really allowed you know we, we all grow up never experiencing it you know I can relate very much to what you said about the handshake you know and so it's uh, one way to language it is it's the, the men's feminine side, but however we language it, I mean, one, one way I sometimes language it, I don't know if you've heard of Shiva, Shiva Shakti, which comes from the, the Hindu tradition. Uh, and what I like about that is uh, that it's two poles, you know, you can't have Shiva without Shakti, you know, and um, the Shakti pole is more about creation, relationship, a sensuality and and the, the shiva pole is more about strength presence and you could broadly say that that um correlates to some sense of masculine feminine but then of course women um have both those poles in their makeup as well so 
Yeah, it's really, uh, I think, discovering this vulnerability and, and this tenderness is, is uh, such a precious thing. Well, and we've got to deal with our... I was talking to a friend of mine who's um, probably fair. She would probably describe herself as a feminist. She grew up in, you know, in the kind of bosom of, of feminism in the 60s and 70s. And she said to me, well, the trouble is, of course, is, is women are very misogynistic. And I was like, what did you just say? I, if I, I, could, I wouldn't dare say so. I wouldn't even think it, let alone say it. What does that even mean? And she said, well, the minute a woman says to a man, man up, you know, you're too, you're oversensitive, you're too sensitive. Mm. That's misogyny because it's, it's a kind of prejudiced negative view of these feminine traits, what we call feminine traits. And that kind of spun me out. I was like, oh, wow, that really makes sense. And of course, our misogyny isn't just directed at women, it's directed at ourselves. I shouldn't be tender. I shouldn't right. be vulnerable. Right. You know, so I think it's really important for men to understand, because I often think, why the fuck would any man give up? You know, right, you've got all the power, you get paid more than anyone else. Why would you give that up? You know, it's not not an easy sell. If you say to men, because it's destroying you, or it's destroying half of you not to mention your relationships mm. that might incentivize them to do this work a little bit more mm. and I, I think it's a really um it's a really interesting way to look at it you know that the, these parts of ourselves need to be we equality needs to be within ourselves individually as much as socially yeah you know, we need to honor these parts of ourselves and you know that I, we're stuck with masculine and feminine. I'd rather we could talk, call it green and blue. That would make it less yeah. you know, contentious. But we're stuck with them, so we've got to work with that. Mm. And would you say, I'd be curious to know if in, in this, in this um, vulnerability and tenderness that you and the men there have been discovering, do you also find that there's a, there's a different kind of strength that comes online also, you know, but it's a strength that's sourced in this vulnerability, you know, not, not in, um, well, I, I'm a man, so I should know who I am and where I'm going and I don't need anybody, you know, this kind of facade of male strength, you know, um, because it definitely came through in some of the uh, men in the documentary that you made, uh, you know, because I, I could tell it seemed like a lot of them have been through a really hard time, you know, had some really big challenges in life. And uh, you could feel this tenderness, this vulnerability, this softness, but also this, uh, this strength, this sense of being um, on purpose, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a different strength to the one that is portrayed in kind of archetypal Hollywood, Stallone, Schwarzenegger, kind of course, yeah. tough unfeeling strength you know which i think is utter bullshit really i think it's a it's a false idea of strength you know there's a strength that comes from going into the underworld and emerging a bit singed right a bit frayed at the edges yeah. but having confronted some demons um, 
Mm. Having broken a few times, the very, very first workshop I ever did way back in the early 90s, I remember the guy very casually as he was doing the introduction to the workshop, he said, well, I think that was around about my third nervous breakdown. And that touched me. I was like, because I think I was having my second at least. <laughs> <laughs> and um, that touched me. I was like, oh, wow, because you seem like quite a cool guy. You seem to really kind of have a, a presence that I'm not familiar with. You know? mm. He had a certain authority that came from his wound rather than his invulnerability. Which, right. You know, I don't know. I'd, I'd struggle. Maybe if we sat here for a few days, we could come up with, with a few ideas or thoughts. But I struggle to think even now of really good portrayals of vulnerable men in mainstream <laughs> media. You know. Oh, yeah. Hardly, hardly seen. Not there, is it, really? No. What you got, Tom Hanks shedding a couple of tears in Saving Private Ryan and then getting back to killing people like <laughs> men are supposed to do. You know, I think this is still very much the main message to men. And then we wonder why we're all running around killing each other and punching yeah. each other. And, you know, it's it's fed to us right. in ways. And I did um, the very first screening that we did of the film we did in New York uh, with a friend of mine called Sebastian Junger, who's, um, he writes, he supported us a lot. And he, he writes quite a lot about, you know, masculine issues and there was a veteran there uh, who was in the film Restrepo that he made about the troops in Afghanistan and he stood up at the end and he said where are the statues where are the monuments where are the memorials for the, the tender men you know mm -hmm. the passionate soft gentlemen we're putting statues up to war heroes mm. which maintain this idea of that's that's you know fair enough i don't say we shouldn't mm. but where are the where are also the statues for the the gentle soft tender we're not doing that and so we're continually reinforcing this this idea of false idea i think of toughness it's yeah. not entirely false i mean there's there's value to being unfeeling if you want to go into war, if you want to go down a coal mine, if you want to go up against a woolly mammoth, I think it's got its uses. <laughs> we lost, and this is something my, my wife referenced in that she directed the film with me, um, in the film, the, the rituals that we used to have when men would come back from war, they would yeah. yeah. brought back in, you know, kind of had the war washed off them so they could return to some to a civilian life. And we're not doing that, you know. That's no. stopped a long, we forgot that a long time ago. Yeah, I was I was moved by that, and I also read something about that. Yeah, that it's that's something the women would do when the, when the main men came back from war, and then that would then they would be able to reintegrate. Yeah. But um, yeah, no, I totally agree with you. I th that that this kind of we don't really have any um positive sort of archetypes role models in even in even with our postmodern you know culture um i guess one of the problems uh, or that i see is that some men who become more progressive you know more what might call themselves spiritual they can tend to um 
we have a phrase for it, become sensitive new age nice guys or snags for short and 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 kind of um you know have this kind of persona of being a gentle gentle you know sweet tender guy um uh, but it's a persona you know it's a it's a mask and it's often in response to in unconscious reaction to actually all the messaging we get as men these days and especially in the first since the feminism you know in that sense of well men are the cause of everything that's wrong so a lot of a lot of a lot of men i mean i also see this in my own history but i i, I i've known and worked with many men who 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 really need to bring on um you could say there's a dual um aspect of the work one is one is this tenderness and vulnerability that we're we've been talking about you know i'm really opening up authentically you know not just putting on an act of being you know uh, a sensitive guy but then there's the fact that so many of these kind of men have denied their masculinity um to whatever degree and for whatever reason and especially these days with this whole kind of uh messaging that masculinity itself is toxic you know so um what we're finding in our work is it's kind of this these this dual um process of inhabiting on one hand this this really beautiful uh, tenderness and giving ourselves to love really and learning to feel as men uh in a way that we didn't even know was possible you know because in so many ways we're we just we're just brought up to be kind of cut off and so that's one side of it is this magnum magnification of, of love of tenderness but then on the other side uh, we do quite a lot of work with uh, bringing online this authentic male strength and warriorship that's sourced in this vulnerability you know and that actually brings great great joy and aliveness you know that you can experience this tenderness with a brother on one hand and then you know then you can do some wrestling together <laughs> um don't you think then that the, the, that kind of new age sensitive man thing is in itself quite patriarchal or misogynistic in that it's like men trying to be like 1950s housewives <laughs> it's a kind of <laughs> 1950s housewife idea of femininity and softness and I probably piss a lot of people off from saying this. I'm always terrified of talking about gender, but um, <laughs> we're here. Uh, it, it strikes me that what happened in the 60s was women got permission to cut their hair short, wear trousers, and get a job. Yeah. It could be like men. Yeah. Men got permission to grow their hair long. And wear beads. And wear beads. And earrings. And, and so they were allowed to be kind of the soft, gentle. But where's the celebration of, you use the word warrior, of the warrior side of femininity? Where's, you know, I mean, you're talking about Shiva and Shakti. I've got Kali. You can't see it. Oh, yeah. On my that's nice. I think it's quite good to have her on my side. You know, that's the, the goddess of destruction. destruction. That's a wild, <laughs> wild 
powerful, you know, powerful yeah. side of femininity. And like I say, my finger's not entirely on the pulse with, with these things, but as an amateur, at least, an amateur man, um, I think there's still something incomplete about that. And so for me, if, if I was going to try and embrace that wildness, that would feel more complete yeah. than that insipid version that, that I, yeah. that's what I, I would describe it as non-threatening. And, and when I was trying to be that, which I was mm. probably in my thirties, I would, I would say I had neutered myself. I was pretty apologetic for my masculinity. Yeah. I wasn't really feminine. I wasn't really anything. I was just saying, sorry, sorry, I'm a guy and I'll try not to be, I'll try not to <laughs> me. I'll try not to be a problem trying yeah. to make up for what my dad did. And I don't, you know, I talk about that at the beginning of the film, you know, in terms of, you know, all men are potential rapists. And when I was going, I'm, I'm not, I'm not. When I eventually went, I am. if that's the truth, if that's the truth and I'm a man, all right, but I won't do it. I'll just take ownership of it. And I won't do it rather than just cut my cock off and try and be as <laughs> non-threatening mm -hmm. as possible. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, that's that's a good example, that whole arena of sexuality, because, um, yeah, a lot of spiritual nice guys, you know, they're, they're in denial of their sexuality, or at least, uh, you know, an authentically, on occasion, wild expression of it. And so that's, uh, that's one aspect that we've actually gone deeply into, you know, and um, continue to. I mean, just at the risk of pissing even more people off, <laughs> I'll talk about Jordan Peterson, which I talked about on the um, Rebel Wisdom thing, I think I did as well, but I find it a really, it just, it works for me in this struggle to pull all this stuff together into something that's, that's useful as a roadmap. And, and yeah. well, he wasn't talking about masculinity, I've kind of nicked it. Um, but he was talking about Christ's Sermon on the Mount. Have you seen that spit, that thing? Oh, oh he's talking about the shadow mm. um and he said he was looking i think he did a series of lectures on from, from the bible uh in the new testament and one of them was about the sermon on the mount and so he, he said he felt conflicted with this idea that you know blessed are the meek which is mm. another good word for a kind of new age spiritual man exactly blessed, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth and he was like well why what have they done to, to, to deserve that? And he looked into the original, I think, I think the word is etymology, the, the original language, the original Hebrew and ancient Greek scriptures and realized that like a lot of them, mm. they were mistranslated. And he said a more accurate translation is, blessed are they that bear arms, know how to use them and keep them sheathed. And I thought, wow do for me as a description of how to be a man yeah threatening dangerous all those kind of things but in charge of it yeah it's able to carry a spear or a sword but keep it have the the mastery and the self-awareness yeah. and the self-control yeah not to chop it off not to deny it not to go i haven't got a sword i'm safe i'm yeah. right. right i've got a sword but i'm i'm so i've done so much work on myself mm. I'm not going to pull it out indiscriminately. Right, right, right. I'm not just going to lose my shit and start chopping people up. 
I've yeah. got it in its sheath, but I've got a sword. Yeah, yeah. That's a great way of putting it. Yeah, that's a great way of putting it. Because, um, like you said, it's to develop in the mastery. Because, like, when you were saying, look, all, yeah, am I potentially a rapist? I mean, yeah, all of us men are, I think, if we're honest, you know. And um, But just that, just greenlighting that and just together as men, and um, realizing we're all the same. That's another big part of the liberation uh, we all feel is when you can have one man who's going through a challenge is on the hot seat, or we're looking at some particular area like, you know, aggression or sexuality. And then, you know, you just find, well, we can all relate to it. You know, some might have more of a tendency in one area a bit more than others, but there's nothing really personal about any of it. Nobody's got a personal problem. And uh, then the more we're willing to say, yeah, I am part animal, you know, <laughs> and there is that authentic uh, warrior, you know. Um, but as you, as you said, um, through this process of vulnerability, actually, it's, it's more the, it's the process of vulnerability and bringing these things out into a collective that actually makes it possible for us to become masters of these impulses uh, in a way that I just think would be very challenging if we're just trying to do it alone. Yeah, to be to, to gain mastery, you have to go into those labyrinths. You have yeah. to be willing to, you know, the, the dangerous thing to me is to say, I'm not a killer, potentially. I'm not a rapist, potentially. I mean, all right, let's, I'm being going to be hypothetical now because I have no idea what I'm talking about in a true sense, but let's just theoretically say, you take some Russians who are in, you know, in conflict at the moment, let's go back two months, three months. If we sat them down and said, are you a rapist? Are you, are you a murderer? I can almost guarantee you they'd all go, no. Mm. You put them in the Ukraine, you get a bunch of their mates killed, or I'm not making excuses for them, but you put them in that, yeah, yeah. I mean, unimaginable to me as someone who's only ever li lived in a safe, you know, space. You put them into that horror. You animalize them or dehumanize them or what, or, or just put them in that 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 kind of crucible. Yeah. And what we're seeing on the news is rape and genocide, right? Which I'm not pointing finger at Russians. That you can point the finger at any culture that's ever been in war and men yeah. rape and kill. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But I'm certain that if you'd asked them a few months ago, they'd have gone, no, I wouldn't do that. Yeah, exactly. I'd be one of the guys who would say no. And mm. I've never been that comfortable. You know, it's, it, these are very diff difficult existential philosophical questions that I think we need to ask ourselves. Would I be one of the good guys? Would I be one of the ones who disobeyed orders? Would I be one of the ones who didn't follow orders? Would I be one of the ones herding people into cattle trucks? Right. These are horrible questions that mm. I think if you really want to be safe, if you want to have mastery, if you want to be able to keep that short sword sheathed, mm. you might not be able to answer 100%, but we've, we've got to go there. And I, there was a book I read probably when I was a teenager about the Vietnam War, and there was a veteran who was saying, I went to high school, I dated cheerleaders, I drank milkshakes and played football. And then I was drafted and I was sent to Vietnam and I was a door gunner in a helicopter. And I remember hovering over a village and I must have personally killed about 100 people, wow. and children, mm -hmm. who I knew were not Viet Cong. 
we were bored and we went out in our helicopter and we shot the shit out of a village. No one told us what to do because if the officers said something we didn't like, we'd shoot them in the back when we went to battle. So it was completely lawless. We mm. had all the smack and all the dope we wanted. In that situation, I became a mass murderer. I then was sent back home to America. I got married. I had some kids. I got a job. I drink beer with my mates. I'm fucking normal now. And I found it in myself. And I wasn't unusual. Mm. I found that Mr. Hyde within myself mm. in that, within that context. You know, John Pilger, the, the journalist, said, I read him a few years ago, he said, have you ever thought maybe we're not the good guys? And that's what's dangerous about the new age man thing. It's like, yeah, yeah. it's a denial. And yeah, that's not mastery. That's, that's a removal. And yeah, you know, it's, it's dangerous territory to go into, but it's more dangerous not to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And how, in terms of working with that territory in your, in your group, um, yeah, do you have anything you'd want to share about how you work with that? Is, it, is that something that will come out of you taking men through a process or do you challenge? Do you challenge them? Is there that context in your group where you can challenge each other very directly? There's a culture. There's a, I mean, my groups, I've got four groups now. They're, they've been running between 10 and I think the oldest group's 22 years old. The youngest one must be coming up to 10. There's a culture, I would say, that I guess comes from me of shadow work and the permission to go dark and go to the dark places without being shamed or humiliated or prosecuted you know for it there's an acceptance without a collusion but i think that non that non-judgmental culture that curiosity mm. you know i always say judgment belongs in the courthouse it's fucking yeah. useless anywhere else judgment is designed to you go to court you've committed a crime or not you're you're judged as guilty not guilty the, the function of judgment is to close shit down which has its place but that's not useful in a therapeutic situation you don't want to be closing things down you want you want to be opening up so i think we have a culture of so what was going on for you hmm. you know what was happening what was missing for you or what was thought process that got you to that place where you were insulting or you got into a road rage incident or you did more cocaine or whatever the, the thing yeah. happens to be yeah. without without like I say without collusion but without judgment I think that's that's a delicate balance yeah um but there's nothing there's no program as such I mean once a year a bit like yourself I take all four groups out for a few days into nature all together the four groups come together. So how many guys would that be? Well, in total, there's, I suppose there's th about 35, 36. So maybe 20, 25, not everyone comes. You know, mm. It's hard to get that many people together, but the majority of them will come. And in that situation, we will do themed work. I mean, one of the limitations I find in my group work, because it's an evening every two weeks for each group. Okay. Yeah. There's limitations to that. They're coming from whatever work they're yeah, yeah. going home to whatever family. And they're not going to fall apart. They're not going to lose their shit in a three-hour group. As uh. a group. So getting them out into the woods, 
into the countryside, away from their families, away from their phones and work, and really getting a bit more immersive, then I will set a theme which might be, you know, one year we'll do vulnerability, another year we'll do the shadow. Last year we did anger work, so the baseball mm -hmm. bats came out and made a screaming mm -hmm. and shouting happen before. <laughs> um, you know, that kind of stuff is useful but it's more, it's more a flavor or, or an atmosphere or, or to the culture of the work where yeah. a permissiveness, you know, yeah. you're not going to be ostracized. Because I think one of the biggest fears for human beings, you know, if you think about the old punishment system, you've got the death penalty and then very close after that, you've got exile. Yeah. And so I think that's a very deep human fear. If mm. I share my badness, mm. I will be exiled from the tribe. Yeah. And to create a tribe where that won't happen, where mm. you'll actually be brought in and supported to work through mm. that toxicity. I just hesitate to use the word, but you know, it, it's mm. there's a reality. Yeah, yeah. Um, then I think that that's the most helpful space mm. we can create. Mm. That's, you know, there's no point in pointing the finger and judging. It's just no, 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 no. Down, they hide yeah you know they back off they isolate mm. and um you, do you have men that you've been working with for many number of years now i mean the people who've stayed with you for a long time yeah i mean the 22 year old group there's a guy who's been in three months shy of that wow. uh, most most of that group yeah have been in 15, 20 years. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think, you know, the way I work as a therapist is, is I always say we got one relationship, us and the rest of the universe, right? And I tend to do long-term relationships and that's mm. reflected in my work. Mm. Um, and so, and so obviously, because that's a long time, I mean, in terms of my group, I mean, there's a few guys who've been involved nine, 10 years. Um, yeah, I'm curious if over time, because I imagine people go through all kinds of uh, breakdowns and breakthroughs together. Yeah. And, um, and then you, you know, obviously there's, there's transformation. Is an aspect of your collective in terms of the support, do you, would you, and do you also challenge each other to live up to what you've seen in each other? Yeah. I mean, this is, this is a, yeah. Yeah, so you know you can't feel that long you can say to yeah. them look you, yeah. i know you're better than this man yeah well come on you're bullshitting we've been we've been here before come on yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. i mean I've, i i have run lots of modular groups in the past and training programs and this that it's just not my thing you know i think our wounds are also perhaps you could say our gifts and so coming from a family of domestic violence and, and addiction as a kid, I guess I unconsciously became the, the person trying to hold it all together. Mm -hmm. And that's reflected on a good day. On a bad day, it doesn't always work. You know, it, it, you can have, we can have family fights and conflicts as well. They're not, you know, on, not unknown in, in a relationship that's that long. Yeah. Which is also part of the learning, the, the finding our ways through that. But yeah, my I've always run groups. So mm. when I left school, I had a little theatre company. Then I was in rock and roll bands, and then I was running a film crews. 
so I think right from year dot, I've been trying to hold the family together. You get it, yeah. That's probably why my groups last so long, because I'm, I am creating brotherhoods and families. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and on, on that theme of brotherhood, because it, it, my sense is that you, your um, role as facilitator or leader is, is somewhat similar to mine, because I feel that you're both a brother to those men you work with and you're you could say the facilitator the leader but it's both together yeah it's really i haven't i still haven't figured it out i was talking to my therapist about this about 10 days ago this is so complicated because it, it would be so much easier if i just stepped back like i'm in a men's group for myself and the guy who runs it is a very good therapist and he's very boundaried and he won't have lunch with us and he keeps his distance. And I yeah. appreciate that I just can't do it. I never have done, I never will do it. Mm. But it's, it's, it's my, my position is blurrier and I suppose still trying to figure it out. Maybe they're still trying to figure it out. It's a kind of experiment that's, yeah, 22 years old now. Mm. I was talking to my my partner about it recently and I was saying I was trying to I think I was trying to explain it to myself in talking to <laughs> about it I was saying if you get a plumber to your house the plumber's not better than you the plumber's not more important than you the plumber's just good at fixing your toilet or your washing machine and mm. I'm a bit I like to see myself as the plumber in that sense of I'm not more important than them. I'm not better than them. I've just got a certain skill set. Yeah. That, to be honest, I'm trying to give away. I'm trying to share. I mean, the 22, actually, all the groups are pretty good. Mm. Uh, 22-year-old group, the 18-year-old group in particular, there are times, very rare occasions, where I've been like, I run a retreat in Nepal. So once a year, I'll go away. There are occasions when they'll meet without me. I know they'll do a really good job. And in, in fact, one of the things yeah. that keeps me interested and excited after all these years is seeing one of them spot something that I've missed. Yeah, exactly. And they are really good. Yeah. And they'll spot shit because I've got blind spots. That's why yeah. another reason I trust groups. I think that's what yeah. I'm saying. As a one-to-one -one therapist, you could work with me for 20 years and there's going to be blind spots. There's going to be things I haven't worked through in myself. Yeah. I'm missing you. You come into a group, someone's going to spot something. Exactly. Can't get away with shit in that situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I totally agree. But yeah. it's very safe. Yeah. Yeah, we, we experience this. We often call it this collective intelligence, you know, the, the intelligence of the collective, you know, that, that is greater than the sum of the individuals. Yeah. You know, so, you know, several individuals might be giving their input, but it's like, um, yeah, that, that, collective it, the circle is like an organism that's on a, a seek and destroy mission you know for any bullshit <laughs> and and yeah yeah like you say it's amazing to me also you know even even though i've had a, a lot more experience than most of the men i'm guiding is yeah when they when they see or see an angle that i just wouldn't have picked up um I'm always just really happy about that. I'm like, yes. And I'm always encouraging them to step up and say, look, this is why you guys need to speak up because you might be picking up on things I'm not going to pick up on. You are, you are also responsible for this process, you know? Well, and the buzz for me, the buzz for me of, of playing music is you're making, 
you're creating an audio frequency that can only be made by four or five people. You can't mm. do that on your own. Mm. You know, you're, you're Bob Dylan if you're doing it on your own, which is fine, but I'm not. I'm, mm. I'm interested in that collective thing and the buzz when you've got four or five people or 10 people or have many all focused on making that one song come together. Mm. That collective experience and a, and a group when it's firing on all cylinders is exactly the same buzz for me. Like, yeah, yeah. This is we're in a zone now. Where yeah, exactly. Something's happening that couldn't happen with one person. Yeah, that's it. You know, I interviewed this guy. I don't know if you've heard of him, Jed Jed Diamond. He's done. He's written a number of books. He's actually been involved with men's book, men's work since 1969. He's been he'd been in a men's group for 43 years. <laughs> Incredible. And he um, he mentioned this phrase that came from uh, Robert Bly, who was one of the guys poets. You know, is very involved with the mankind. Iron John. Yeah, Iron John. That's it. Yeah. And it was the phrase was the song. The song is it. The sound, the sound that male cells sing. You know, and when I heard that phrase, I was like, yeah, that captures something about this, the brotherhood. You know, the that there's some quality there that if there was one woman sitting in the circle, it wouldn't be there. <laughs> and you know, earlier on when we were talking about, you know, we could we could describe the whole impetus to be in a group as men and to be vulnerable as being feminine. But then we were saying, yeah, but it's a feminine that's quintessentially masculine. It's something we, it's a feminine that we experience of men that's different from how women would experience. And um, yeah, to me, that is the thing that lights me up the most. That's the magic, you know, and that's, that's when you, you feel something in the room, you know, like it, like a new being you know it's like the sum of all of you as men and 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 and, so, and, a, and a kind of intelligence and a tenderness and a unity you know that's uh yeah it goes beyond any of us within, as individuals and also goes beyond me as the as the leader yeah and it's that it's that collaborative thing rather than a competitive thing isn't it it's transcending mm. that mm. Yeah, and I, I think that was part of your documentary I found the most moving is towards the end when they're just talking about the experience of the of the brotherhood. And um, yeah, it's just a very profound spiritual. This is where I feel the word spiritual comes in because it's when there's something uh, touched into and expressed that goes beyond any individual's stuff, you know. And, and where we uh, we find ourselves most deeply coming together. Yeah, and that's interesting to hear also about um, something. So, so would you say what's also developing in your groups over time is what we could call natural hierarchy or a growth hierarchy, where the guys who have more experience, you know, if you go off and do your retreat in Nepal, you know, they're going to step up quite naturally because they've got more to give. Yeah, and then. Yeah, then uh, it's not yeah, all. Like I say, it's you know, it's something that's an experiment, and so I guess, you know, hopefully, in after I've been running in forty-three years, I'll be able to look back with a bit more awareness. But I'm I'm trying to 
dismantle a conventional hierarchy without dismissing the idea of leadership. Yeah, exactly. Which is clearly important to them. Mm. But it's, I guess we're working with power, you know, and power. Yeah. If you want to talk about abuse or, you know, toxicity, it's the abuse of power or the mismanagement of power. Yeah. Which is so problematic, you know, globally. Yeah. I, I think it's a, it's a heady drug that a lot of people, mm. when they get a taste of it, go a bit insane. So mm. I guess we're playing with, with, semi-consciously again ideas of power and how to distribute it without being dominant you know yeah that's something that's definitely not tolerated in the culture of what we're doing is, is mm. yeah that's that's a great way to put it i hadn't actually put those things together but yeah the the whole natural hierarchy model you know that something very fluid yeah, it's really working with a healthy distribution of power, you could say, you know, not denying power again, exactly. you know. And some of us are more, you know, we have that capacity to to lead and guide others for whatever reason, you know, just like you said you That's did. That's definitely part of, I mean, I've got about six or seven guys training up to run groups alongside, you know, guys who've been in groups of mine for a long time. Mm. And I think that's something that when that I would find hard to train into them, though. there's lots of things I can teach people consciously or share with people mm -hmm. consciously. I don't know how to share or teach anyone how to put a group together because that's right. very, I could give people some tips, but I think it's something I'm quite good at probably from trying to hold the family together. I'm quite good at, like I'm, I'm quite good at putting a band together and a, good band is not about finding the best musicians yeah a whole load of ego shit going on right right a really good band if you look at really good bands then rolling stones i'm going i'm a guitar player too by the way and i've been in a few bands so i'm going to go and see the rolling stones on june 1st you know it's their 60th anniversary yeah, yeah. they're playing in madrid uh, jesus it was expensive that was 360 euros a ticket but that, you know, there they are, like 78 years old. And, you know, they're not the, they're not the best musicians per se. No but what they, yeah, what they do together, you know, that's a great metaphor also. It's yeah. like how they weave together. Yeah. Right. And yeah. I think I'm, I'm quite good at chemistry. <laughs> I think that's a really important thing. And you don't want, you want a good mix of a few people who are going to really step up few people who are going to sit in the middle a few people who are going to be quiet but occasionally i mean yeah, the quiet guys are amazing to me they're the ones who'll sit there for a year not say something and then they'll suddenly open their mouths and just cut across all yeah <laughs> and stop everyone in their tracks and we suddenly realize they've been paying attention for five yeah. years and what's fascinating i mean that you know there's a couple of guys that have been in groups with me for decades who hardly ever say a word but when they don't show up the mm. group's not the same Mm. feel it there's just it's some the presence mm. so it's it's about presence as much as anything but getting that right mix mm. of people is is i was gonna say it's an art but it, i don't even know how i do it, it it's mm. something i feel blessed that i'm quite good at that yeah and and i did try once i put a group i thought oh i'm being too um 
I'm being too selective. It's not fair. I'm just going to put the first eight, ten guys that show up in a group. And I did that as an experiment. They fucking hated each other. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it lasted about six weeks and all fell apart. So I thought mm, maybe I should stick with my instincts. You know, yeah, seems to be working out. Yeah, and maybe to finish, maybe um, maybe I'd be interested to hear why you wanted to make that documentary, "Make Me a Man." Um, yeah, yeah what, what do you feel most uh, proud of in terms of that documentary, in terms of what it puts across? When I wanted to make it because, what well, ego, actually. That's it, the real honest truth, ego, because <laughs> together with this amazing woman who's a filmmaker, and she just made a film, and I was jealous, and I thought, I want to make a film as well. She's getting loads of attention. <laughs> that's the base part of it. Okay, that's very honest. The Good. next part of it, I haven't told her yet, so I better not show her this when you put it up. Uh, um, but a deeper, more important reason, other than my own fragile ego, was I recognised I'd kind of plateaued. I had, I have four groups. They're all full. People stick around, so there was no point in even putting people on a waiting list. And it's like after nearly three decades, I'm able to reach. 30, 35 guys. Yeah. My, my, my supervisor told me, and again, it sounds like a big ego thing. He's like, I think you've probably got the biggest men's group practice in Britain. And I was like, oh, that's nice. And then immediately I thought, well, that's shit because that's 35 guys. That's, yeah, not, big that's not big enough. <laughs> I don't even know if it's true, to be honest, but it's, it's clearly it's one of the bigger ones. Mm. Um, but the realization of how few people I could reach. I think I, 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 and I was sitting in here in this room. This is where I, was sitting here one night and I looked around. I've often been approached by TV companies wanting to make film what, what I do. And I've always said no, because mm. I don't think they'd get what we do because you bring, it's like you bring a camera in, it's going to change the dynamic. Exactly. I worked with a lot of people in media and I looked around the room and I realized, wow, we're a film crew. Mm. You're a cameraman, you're a sound guy. We could do this ourselves. Mm. Uh, so without any real thought or planning, we got together, I think, the next Saturday. We got a few of the guys together and asked them some questions and started filming it. And I thought I'll just put the clips on YouTube. Mm. And quite soon after that, I thought if I make this film, kind of in competition with my girlfriend almost, <laughs> I'm going to do something really defensive as a man. Yeah. I mean, you know, we're not all bad, you know. It'll, yeah. it'll come from that place, which yeah. I can get into. Yeah. So I invited her to come on board and direct it with me. Because yeah. I just thought, we need a woman's perspective on this. We need, a, we need a woman's inquiry. We need a woman's challenge. We need a yeah. woman's input in this. And I think it's back to Shiva and Shakti. I think what I'm most proud of in the film is I think we nailed it. I think yeah. we've got that balance. It's not a pro-man thing. It's not an anti-women thing. It's a human presentation. Totally. Totally. Which guys who have done some work on themselves presented yeah. by a man and a woman who were collaborating. Yeah. Yeah, you just said it. That's what really struck me about it was the humanity, just the raw humanity of it, over and above it being about men. But it was quite something to feel that raw humanity 
coming through all those men, you know, and, and the whole spectrum, because they're quite a bunch of different characters as well. Yeah, and then the last thing, the other thing, as I said, that really impacted me was this whole ba backdrop of the war and the uh, war memorial. And um, yeah, maybe just to finish, is that something, is that is that a dimension that you've really touched into in your work with men? Is is that there's this deep cultural uh, wound or shadow that even even if men haven't, you know, as you know, people like us, we're, we're very fortunate to have lived relatively comfortable lives, but still that shadow getting carried down through the generations. And uh... I think it's a massively defining part of my life and therefore it's reflected in my work. I'm now, in a literal sense, I've taken guys out to the old First World War battlefields because they're so emotive mm. trying to crack through some of that tough exterior. It's a great place to just go and walk and be outside mm -hmm. and be together and, and walk through graveyards or through battlefields. And I haven't met a man yet that isn't touched by that. So that's a kind of mm. creative manipulation, manipulative technique, you know, a lot yeah. of manipulation. It's just in a benign way. Yeah. Um, but in my own history, you know, I was raised by, I had a very close relationship to my maternal grandparents who raised me a, a lot of the time when, things weren't going well with my mum and dad and they were born just before the first world war they were old enough to see the older kids go off and not come back yeah and i think it really formed them and i got a really really strong message from them do not trust authority they will get you killed wow trust yourself listen to yourself don't you know don't follow leaders you know mm -hmm. it's that kind of quite um rebellious defiant people you know very you know they would shout at the tv if the queen or margaret thatcher came on they were quite, <laughs> quite left-wing but but i think it really formed them and that influence of yeah listen to yourself trust yourself yeah. first yeah. don't blindly follow yeah really influenced me so i think that's in there as well and then as i point out you know as i state in the film just my grandfather he was a very soft, very loving man, but he wasn't, you know, he wouldn't cry. And it was only in, his, I think, a week before he died that he broke down, you know. And as again, as I said in the film, he kind of waited till the women went out of the room. It was just me and him sitting by his deathbed. He started mm. crying. And I was like, what's up? And he was like, why did I get 60? It touches me now. Yeah. Why did I get 65 years more than my friends? And it, yeah. it just broke my heart because I thought, fuck, you've never said that. You've, yeah. lived, you've lived for 65 years without sharing that survivor's guilt and yeah. what is there was no moving. relationship you know yeah. silence yeah yeah that was a really really moving point in the film and just how they these guys could carry this kind of guilt their whole lives you know and yeah not really realize how it's shutting them down on so many levels <clears throat> yeah well i i loved it jerry so i'm gonna i'm gonna show that um your documentary to to my uh men on our men's retreat coming up in june so oh, fantastic thank you yeah so, and that's why i made it right just yeah hopefully someone will see it somewhere and who haven't thought about starting a men's group and will start it and if, if it does that great yeah it's worth doing yeah yeah i feel the same way with with the documentary we're doing
You'll please keep me informed about that. I'll we'll do. Yeah. All right. Well, great to speak with you, Jerry. Thank you. Yeah. All the best. And, um, keep on keeping on. Yeah. All right, man. Thank you. Ciao. So thank you very much for listening. That's it for today. If you'd like to find out more about my book, The Fire of the Heart, you can go to thefireoftheheart.com where you can also download four free chapters. If you'd like to find out more about the Awaken Life Project, then go to awakenlifeproject.org or our Awaken Life Project Facebook page where you can find out all about our ashram, extended spiritual community, retreats and other events, and our adventures living off-grid in the mountains of Portugal. So keep on keeping on until next time, and as they say in Portugal, até já.